Good morning, everyone. It is good to be together worshiping the Lord. We saw that last week. That's how God uses churches, how God uses churches that are willing. Um, But one of of those key aspects was that they gather together, they worship together, they pray together. And so it is is a blessing, it's a privilege, it's... um, I'm thankful to get to, to sing these songs. Um, there's victory in Jesus. We're going to see that in this passage this morning. Your name is victory. And so I, I'm excited to uh, jump into this. So turn with me to Acts chapter 13. We're continuing our series in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13. And this morning we're going to be in verses 5 through 12. Last week we began chapter 13. Uh, we focused in on a church that God was using and had and used in mighty ways. A church that, that a church that didn't watch from the sidelines. They uh, they weren't just kind of going, oh yeah, God God's working over there, but we've got we're just going to do our thing over here. They they were a church that said, God use us. A church that God literally used in in history to reach a lost world. And so when we look at a passage like that, we ask the questions. Okay, what made this church? so usable, so active, what allowed them to be used by the Lord in such a mighty way. And so what we saw in the first five verses of chapter 13 were some, you know, a couple of characteristics that we continue to see in effective people today and effective churches in the Bible and, and still today. So what made them, and we use the word missional, what made them a missional church. Um, just to remind you of the definition of missional that I gave us last week, missional means to live as one sent for the glory of God and for the sake of the gospel. So what does it mean to live a missional life just as an as a individual believer? It's to live as one sent, to understand what our calling is, to be sent for the glory of God, for the sake of the gospel. What does it mean to be a missional church? To be a church that is being sent out for the glory of God and for the sake of of the gospel. So what were a couple of things that allowed the church at Antioch to be this missional church, a, a church that was sent for the glory of God and for the sake of the gospel? Um, we saw in those first few verses that they took very seriously the importance of worship and of prayer. They, they got on their knees, they gathered together, they were fasting, they were seeking the Lord, they were saying, God, use us what do we need to be doing? The other thing that we saw very clearly, too, is that they knew and understood their mission. They knew and understood their mission. What is the mission of the church? Can anyone tell me? What? Go. Yeah, go make disciples. Jesus like, okay, I'm getting ready to leave. Um, here's what you're to do, church. Go and make disciples of all nations. He, you know, before he ascended into heaven, he's like, okay, go be my witness. We have, we have kind of diluted that. We have kind of added a whole bunch of extra stuff sometimes, and we've sometimes forgotten what our mission is. This church, why were they so effective? They gathered together, they worshiped, and they knew what their mission was. And they were saying, what do we do, Lord? What do we do? And so they worshiped together, they prayed together, they sought the leadership of the Holy Spirit. They knew and understood their mission, which was to go and make disciples, to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so they said... God show us, they asked, they waited, and so the Holy Spirit at this time in this church's history, they said, okay, send out Paul and Barnabas. So this, was, this is what the Holy Spirit told them to do, send out Paul and Barnabas. Now, okay, so we look at Paul and Barnabas, we, we look at Paul, I mean, 
we, I mean, we know Paul wrote all these letters to the churches. God used him in such powerful ways. We see Paul, we see his friend Barnabas and how they went, and they were missionaries. And sometimes we have this inflated version of them. It's like, oh, they are just superhero Christians. But just, just spend some time in the New Testament, and you're going to see that Paul was, was, was just like us. He had his struggles. He, had, he fought with his sin nature. He, he, was, he, was, he, was, he desired to do God's will, but then he, you know, he had his issues as well. So sometimes we forget that these were men going, okay, Lord, I just want to be more like you. Send me out. So, so what is it that Paul and Barnabas had? What is their example? To me, it's that they were willing. They were examples of willingness. They were willing. God said, go. And they said, okay. Go. Like, all right, let's go. They were, I mean, to me, that was, that was, that was the big thing was that they were willing to go. And so last week we asked that tough question, are we even willing? Like we're, we're, we're pretty good in this culture of being, well, I mean, we might be okay. Some of us are pretty good in this culture of being willing to go to church, at least go to church. But are we willing to go and make disciples? Are we willing to walk across the street to our neighbors that we drive by over and over and over? Are we willing to walk across our, the room in our, at our workplace and go and, and build relationships with people that, that God is asking us to go to? Are we willing to walk across the hall at school? Or are, are, Okay, this, this one might really get you. Are you willing to sit in a different place at your, at your kids' baseball or basketball games or whatever? I mean, we, we're creatures of habit, right? I know where all y'all, you're sitting here. I know where everyone is. Every week, every week, I know who I'm going to look at. It's like, oh, no, okay, yeah. It's, we're just creatures of habit, and we do, that, we do that out there, too. He's like, well, this is where I sit in the stands. This is where I sit at school. This is where I sit. Like, are we willing to go and build relationships and invest and be intentional and be willing to go make disciples? Are we willing to help out? You know, the next time we say, hey, we're doing a VBS at the mobile home park, are you willing to say, okay, I'm willing? I don't know what... What do I need to do? But I'm willing to go. Are you willing to sign up for the next mission trip that might take, take us to another state or maybe across to the other side of the world? Paul and Barnabas were simply willing. The Holy Spirit said, send, send them out. And they said, okay, let's go. The church was willing to partner with them. And they said, let's go. Let's send you out and see what God does. I really believe that being willing is maybe most of our battle. It's most of our battle because we are so comfortable we're so set in our routines. We're so just like, here's where we like to be. And I don't want anyone to mess with that. I don't want to be taken out of my comfort for even just a little while. And so are you willing to go? Paul and Barnabas were willing. And so what do we see? They got on, this, they got on a ship. They sailed 130 miles. Uh, they arrived in Cyprus. And so they, they landed in Cyprus. Okay, so here's what they did. They got off the boat, and then they set up this massive headquarters. They built this huge tent, and they, they, they gathered all this equipment, and they're like, all right, let's settle down here. Then, then they held a mission conference. It was incredible. They brought in a bunch of speakers, and they were encouraged, like, let's do this. They do this. Then they waited, and they're like, let's gather all the latest strategies and all the information, all the all the different things about ages of this island. And, and they did that for months and months and months. Before. No, they didn't do that. I'm, I'm kidding. Okay, that's not in the Bible, all right? Hopefully you've read this passage and you know that's not there, okay? 
They got there. Here's what they did. <laughs> this is, I think this blows, it just blows my mind. They said, okay, we're going to start over here. This is the edge of the island. Okay, the other side of the island is that way. Let's go. And they walked, and they told people about Jesus. Oh, my goodness, that is amazing strategy, isn't it? That is, that is incredible. I don't know if, I mean, I went to seminary. I don't know if I ever heard just that being the strategy. I just remember going to, like, um, I had a mission class, and we talked all these strategies and all this stuff. They literally said, let's walk from this side of the island to the other side of the island, and whoever we meet, we're going to tell them about Jesus. And if we come to a Jewish synagogue, let's, let's go in there and teach them about Jesus and the Gentiles that are out here, let's just see who we run across, and we're going to tell them about Jesus. It was not complicated. It was simply sharing the gospel. Why do we complicate it so much? Why do we complicate telling people about Jesus so much? Now, I know, I know, I know it's, it's good to, to go through some things that kind of give us confidence, whether it's the three circles or the Roman road or share Jesus without fear, or all these things. We have books and books and books, and it's, and it's good to kind of like, okay, here's, here's some scripture that we need to know, and, and that's okay, that's good. But why do we complicate the gospel so much? Look at Paul and Barnabas, okay? Look at these heroes of our faith. What did they do? They prayed, they fasted, they asked the Lord, where do we go? God sent them they were willing to go. And when they got there, they walked and they told people about Jesus. This morning we're going to pick up right here and we're going to see what God did on this island. We're going to see this incredible um, opposition that happened and we're going to see this incredible victory. So I'm going to have Elizabeth this week. Elizabeth's going to come up and read our passage. We're going to be in Acts chapter 13, verses 5 through 12. And then we will get into this. So we look at verses 5 through 12 this morning. And so here's what's happening. Paul and Barnabas are walking and teaching and preaching and sharing. And here's, here's the thing. There is not record of thousands of people coming to Jesus. They're walking. They're teaching. They're, they're, the Bible does not say, and, and thousands and thousands of people came to know Christ. And I, and, I, and I wonder sometimes, and, and many scholars are kind of, you know, remember John, John Mark is with them. He's kind of that first intern of the church. You know, he's like, I'm here, I'm here to help, you know. And, and he would come, at the end of this journey here, you know, he's going to leave them. And it's going to cause some issues. And, and, and scholars have wondered, is like, did he have this kind of glorified idea of what mission work was going to be like? Was it harder than he thought? Maybe he didn't, he's like, where are all these people coming to know Christ? It's just lots of conjecture. Maybe he was worried about persecution coming down there. You know, it's like, who knows? But what we do not see are thousands of conversions. But what we do see in this passage is that they come across a man who is very interested in the gospel. Here is this one man who is also very important. He's a very important man. He's, you know, he's a proconsul of, of Rome, and he's like, I want to hear. I want to hear about this. I want to hear the gospel. But we also see a man who is very opposed to the gospel. And so the first thing that we see in this passage, verses 6 through 8, if you're taking notes, is, is this, spiritual opposition. Spiritual opposition against the missional church. The missional church has sent out Paul and Barnabas. They're, they're active. They're saying, we're willing to go. We're willing to partner. Let's send Paul and Barnabas. They, they went. But here we go. We see now the spiritual opposition 
against the church. Verses 6 through 8, when they had gone through the whole island, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Paul and Saul and sought to hear the word. So there, here's the proconsul. He's like, I want to hear about this, but here's this other guy, this magician. And so I'm going I'm to make, make a statement here, okay? Um, because we're seeing this opposition, spiritual opposition, okay? I want, I want to make a statement, but I want to then elaborate a little more on what I'm going to say before you let your mind get super excited and pumped up, before some of you get scared, or before some of you put up a wall and go like, I'm so sick of hearing stuff like that, okay? That, that's, there's going to be lots of different reactions, because I know that's true, because I've had those, all three of these reactions throughout my life. Okay, here's the statement. When God's people, when we as believers, seek to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, opposition is unavoidable. Okay? See, we already, we already got someone. It's like, amen, yes. We have different reactions to that. When God's people get serious about the advance of the gospel, opposition is unavoidable. Now, some of us, we go, yeah, that's right. Let's go. Full armor of God. Let's do this. Come on, Satan. You can't hurt me. Let's go. Some of us, we tend to move backwards. Like, wait, 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 what? Opposition? I really like my, I like my life. It's comfortable. I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't like opposition. I don't like confrontation. And some of you might say, and here's, here's one that's real. Some of you might say, yeah, that's just, yeah, that's just the pastor trying to scare us, trying to sound cool. And I've heard all this stuff before, so I'm not listening to that. Okay? These are, these are real emotions. And I know that's true because, see, I grew up in a church. I, drew, I grew up in a, a religious culture that liked to sometimes scare me into, like, living a certain way. They tried to to like fear me into living a certain way. And they didn't ever even talk about the deep issues or they would like to use phrases that as, even as a kid I thought, that seems weird, why would they say that? And I didn't know why. Uh, here, was, here was one of the phrases that, that was said to me a lot, not to me personally, but like to our church when we would be singing a song and maybe there weren't enough people singing. And the music minister would say something like this, and I'm gonna use, use an accent because it just seemed like the right thing to do in Oklahoma, if you don't like singing in church, then you're going to be miserable in heaven because that's all we're going to be doing. Like, I'm a 10-year-old kid going, I like basketball. I like my Star Wars characters. I'm going to be singing this hymn for the rest of eternity. Like, why do you, why do you say that? Like, what's, I mean, I'm going to be miserable in heaven. I thought heaven was a perfect place. Another phrase that was used a lot was this. If you start living for Jesus, then Satan's going to be very angry, so you better watch out. Okay, 10-year-old, like, what? I really want to do the right thing. What am I watching out for? I'm, you know, I, I got fearful. You know, older in life, I started going, whatever. Stop saying stuff like that. You know, like... Well, the, well, the really, really spiritual mature ones, they're the ones that go to church on Sunday night. 
and Wednesday night. It's like, really? Like, what? Seriously? That's what our level of spiritual maturity is? If you're, if you're really spiritual, you'll help out in VB. I mean, we just, I'd hear these phrases. I, another one that I think is real that many of us kind of like, sometimes we, we get scared about is like, is, if someone says, well, if you're having a lot of trouble in your life, then you know you must be doing something right for the Lord because Satan isn't happy. I mean, okay, so, okay, just, just, just stay with me, okay? There are nuggets of truth in all of these statements, but they, they miss the mark. They miss the, the whole thing. Yes, guess what? We're going to worship Jesus in heaven. Do we know exactly what that's going to look like? Is it going to be hymn number such and such, or is it going to be a, a choral cantata? Is it going to be a praise band with our favorite songs that we hear on Caleb? We have no clue what that's going to look like. All we know is we get to be with Jesus. We get to be with Jesus, eternity with Jesus. There's going to be, heaven's going to be awesome. There's going to be no sin. There's going to be no pain. There's going to be no depression, anxiety. There's no health issues. We get to be with Jesus. Our hope is eternal. We have no clue what that's going to look like, but it's going to be awesome, right? So there's, there's a nugget of truth there. So why, but, why, but why do we make statements that cause people to worry about heaven? That's just, that's just silly. The other phrases also have a little bit of truth too. Yes, when we're living for the Lord, when the church is focusing on our mission, the kingdom is being advanced, guess what? Satan is not happy. He's not. That's just truth. There will be opposition. There is, it is unavoidable when we start really getting serious about Jesus. And we get serious about our mission, which is to go and make disciples. But that's not a bad thing, okay? Follow me here. That's okay. Opposition is not bad. We don't have to be fearful of the opposition. Why? Because Christ is with us, okay? I, th- I think we forget that. We hear phrases like that. We're like, whoa, wait, I'm scared. No, you don't have to be scared because Christ is with us. Christ will never leave us nor forsake us. We have the Holy Spirit to guide us. Guess what? Christ in us gives us courage, right? Christ in us gives us his peace. Christ in us gives us his strength. This is really what Paul meant in Philippians 4.13. This is not just, I can, I can win all the battles and play sports and never lose and, and score great on my tests and, and my life is perfect. That's not what he meant by Philippians 4.13. Philippians for 12 and 13 give us a bigger, bigger picture. He says this, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's the bigger picture, right? So when you're facing opposition, guess what? You have his strength. When you're going through a time where, where, where God's, I call it a time of grace, like sometimes we just need that to be able to breathe and, and, and maybe not every one of your cars are falling apart at the same time or, or just you have those, those few weeks where it's like I get to breathe, that's God's grace, his mercy. Yes, we have God's strength. Through the opposition, we start, when we start seeking the Lord and our church is focused on Jesus and you are being willing to walk across the hall and talk to someone or across the street, guess what? Yeah, there's, there's going to be some opposition, but you have Christ in you. He's giving you the strength. It does not mean that we won't face trouble, but in Christ, we don't have to fear opposition. 
We don't have to fear it. It's actually exciting. That's why, you know, it's, I, I liked hearing that. Amen. It's like, you know, it's unavoidable. Amen. That's right. We can get excited about what God's doing, excited to, 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 hear, to feel that opposition, knowing that Christ is in us, knowing that people are being saved, knowing that the church has a unity based on the mission. When the church is praying and seeing life change, it is exciting, but there will be opposition. We see it very clearly in this passage. Paul and Barnabas, they had been sharing Christ through the, throughout the island, and they finally come to a man who's very important, and he's like, I want to hear more about this gospel. I want to hear. He was an intelligent man. He's like, come, come talk to me. Come share with me this stuff that you're talking about, this, this, these life-changing things, this truth that I'm hearing. But there was a man right there, right there. Here he's like, I'm willing to hear, and here comes the opposition, a magician named Bar-Jesus. Luke describes this man as a false prophet, which, okay, that kind of makes sense. He was probably, probably, you know, Sergius Paulus was also probably listening to this guy too, right? Because this guy was probably telling him all this false stuff, but it, it sounded intelligent. He was just like, I just want to hear these different views on religion and all this stuff. So they, was, they were probably having conversations with this man about these philosophies and his religious beliefs. But Sergius Paulus was also interested in the gospel. He was hearing truth and so Elymas, the magician, began trying to turn the proconsul away from truth. Okay, so here we have these opposing things. So we have false teaching, Satan's false teaching. We have God's truth, the gospel, life-giving gospel, the good news of, of, of Jesus. And they're, at, they're opposing each other right now. Here's something we need to think about as well. Again, we've, we've overcomplicated some things way too much, and, and it causes us to kind of sit like I, I don't know what to do. Something to think about. Leading someone to Jesus is not about how great your delivery is. It is not about just the academic side of religion. It is not a sales pitch. It is a heart issue. Jesus, God, is calling to that person, and God is using you, the hands and feet, to, to speak truth. But something's happening in that moment that's more than what you're saying, like just, just the way you say it or, or how great you think you're, something's happening much bigger. It's someone being brought from death to life. It's someone that's dealing with, you know, coming to life in Jesus Christ. As one pastor stated, it involves all-out war against the forces of hell. That's what's happening in that moment. That's a pretty big deal, right? And what do we do sometimes? We're like, well, I, don't, I can't really say anything. God's, God's working. Like When someone's saying, would you tell me about Jesus, what is that? That means, God, I mean, that means there's a war going on against the forces of hell. That's pretty amazing, right? That's a big deal. So we got to kind of get over ourselves. This is not about us. It's not about like, I went through all these different classes and I'm such a great... No, this is about Jesus. This is about the truth of the gospel. And this is about a war against the forces of hell. And when the church gets on mission, when it knows its mission, then we, get, we, we feel and see that opposition. We see these attacks, this battle. Um, and, and sometimes... And sometimes what God does, I mean, what Satan does is he distracts us, right? 
He distracts us here. I know I did this last week, but look at each other. Just look at each other. I mean, I know it's awkward. Someone turn around. Like someone turn around and look back. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, this is, this is your, (laughs) this is your family. This is the family of God, right? And doesn't, doesn't sometimes when, when God, when, when we get serious, don't you feel like all of a sudden it's like, why is there drama? Why are this, why is this person upset? Like God, I mean, Satan knows how to get in the midst of us. He knows how to battle. And we begin to feel some of that opposition. Sometimes we just, I mean, it's, the opposition is, is out there. But a lot of times it happens within the church, within relationships. It distracts us from our mission. And, and again, kind of that side note, maybe that was even happening with, with John Mark, right? You know, he left. And what did that do? It caused a rift between Paul and Barnabas. It was like something that had to be, uh, that it did get resolved and there was healing down the road. When we are on mission, we have to be aware that we're going to face opposition. So are we going to be on guard for it? Are we going to pray for it? Are we going to, you know, when I, when I ask that we come up here, again, you got to know my heart. I am so not about numbers and looks and, um, you know, I don't, I don't stand over here and take a picture when, when there's a bunch of people down here praying, like, look at, look at how Look at all the people praying this week. No, that is, that is so not me. When I ask people to come pray, I'm just like, we need, we need at least to have a group up here praying every week. Every week that God would move. Every week that God would protect this church from the distractions. Every week that, that we could be you know, focused on the mission of Jesus Christ going and making disciples. We, we have to be aware that there, will, there is opposition. We have to fight against. We have to be a praying church. We have to be and know and stay focused on the mission of the church to to not allow ourselves to be distracted by the things Satan loves to distract us with. But here's the cool thing, all right? That's the spiritual opposition. But one thing we know from Scripture is that God's purposes will never, cannot be thwarted. And I just love that word, thwarted. They cannot. God's plan will never be thwarted. God's plan cannot. And so what we see here is we see the spiritual victory in this passage. So verses 9 through 12. Look at what happens, 9 through 12. But Saul, who is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And then behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And then the proconsul believed. He saw what had occurred. He saw what God did, and he believed. He was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. He was astonished at the truth of the gospel. And I love, I love that image, okay? Paul fixing his gaze on Elemas, the magician, staring the man down, saying, You son of the devil, you enemy of righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? You can just kind of picture that scene right there. Now, I know some people will be like, That nah, wasn't very nice of Paul to talk like that to that man. 
Why would Paul say this? Okay, here's the thing. Here's, here's what we can know is, is, is truth here. This was not Paul saying it, okay? Why did Paul say those exact things? Why did Paul come out very stern looking at this man? What, what does verse 9 say? Why did he say those things? Anyone? Holy Spirit said, says first he was filled with the Holy Spirit and that's why he said those things. Again, there's a couple of things we've got to look at. We need to be careful that we're, we're filled up before we go out and share the, share the gospel, right? We've got to be careful that we're being filled up with God's word, abiding and worshiping and praying together before we go face that opposition. See, Paul and Barnabas were willing, they were, they were focused, they were been filled up, they were seeking the Lord, and so he, they, he had the words that needed to be said. God gave him the words. The other thing that we need to see here very, very clearly is this, we are not alone. We do not have to be scared to share Jesus. I, I do like that idea, share Jesus without fear. It's, we don't have to be scared. We are not facing opposition alone. Let us seek Christ. Let us pray. Let us be patient. Let us get our eyes up and say, God, where are you working? Where can I join you? Let us abide in God's word so that we too can be filled up with the spirit and have the words we need to say. Don't you, don't you, don't you kind of sit back sometimes like, I really want to talk to that person. I feel like God's leading me. I don't know what to say. So what do you need to do? Go seek the Lord. Fill up. Pray. Ask God for, for opportunity. And he, I promise you, he will give that to you. Paul saying these words because he was filled with the Holy Spirit should encourage us, right? Encourage us. It's like he, he was filled with the Holy Spirit so he knew what to say. Sometimes we say things when we're not filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's not good either. That's not good. We say things in our anger. We say things, we, we say phrases like, you know, Think this is fun here? You're gonna hate him. You know, we say stuff like that. We shouldn't be saying those things. I think I think it's interesting too. Here is in this moment, we don't know much more about Elymas the magician, but we do know that God had grace on him. He blinded him for a time. For a time, there was mercy. There's mercy there. I don't. I don't know what happened to him. But what we do see here is we see the victory in Jesus. Who believed? The proconsul. They had been traveling this whole island. It doesn't say that there were thousands of converts, but they came to this very important man who was just seeking the Lord. Jesus was calling to him, and Paul and Barnabas had been willing to go 130 miles to this island, and here there's a situation they had a chance to speak truth. This man was listening. Opposition came. Holy Spirit guided. They, they, they faced the opposition. And here's where we see the victory in the name of Jesus. The proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred. This man was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? That he was astonished at the truth and the teaching that Paul and Barnabas were giving. You know why he was astonished? I'll tell you. And I'm glad you asked. You should write this down. But it's also easy to memorize. There is power in the name of Jesus. That's the, that's, you want to know why he's astonished? Because of Jesus. There is power 
in the name of Jesus. I hear a lot of amens, but do we, do we really believe that? Do we know this? Do we sometimes forget this? Yeah. There is power in the name of Jesus. We, say, we, just, we just sang these songs about that. Jesus has already defeated death on the cross. Satan has no power against the name of Jesus. This, this should give us courage, right, to go, to tell, to face the opposition. This should, this should give us excitement. It should give us strength. If you're a believer, you already know that there is victory in Jesus. We're just saying there is victory in Jesus. Walking an entire island, no converts, but this man who Christ was calling, he, and he comes to know Jesus because he faced and he was astonished by the teaching of Jesus. Here's what's really cool, okay? An archaeologist named Sir William Ram, Ramsay, he was, he was digging on this island of Cyprus, and he found inscriptions bearing the name Sergius Paulus, confirming that he was a Christian and that his entire family became believers. Isn't that cool? There's a, that was a reason they were there. That's, God was at work. This was a victory in Christ for the missional church. Can you, I mean, you can imagine the excitement when they, you know, they got back and they told this story and the, and the church had sent them out. And they were like, this is incredible. This, is, this family found Christ. And who knows how many came to know Jesus after they left because of this family. Following Christ and being willing to share your faith to a lost world is not always easy. It's really not. And sometimes it gets really difficult for the missional believer and the missional church. But here's the reality. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's, the reality is there's victory in Christ. Paul writes about this in Romans eight thirty-seven through 39. He says this, No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors through Jesus for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We are more than conquerors. So as we ask ourselves some questions, like are we, are we soft? Are we too comfortable to be willing to go? Are we scared? Are we nervous? Here's a good one for the church. Are we always thinking someone else is going to do it? Uh, someone else will go. We don't have to be this way. Do you know why? Because in Jesus, we are more than conquerors. We don't have to be scared. We don't have to be nervous. We don't have to always be going, well, maybe someone else because I'm just not ready. We don't have to ever, we don't have to be there because if you're a believer in Jesus, you are more than conquerors. If you're a believer in Jesus, there's power in the name of Jesus. If you're a follower of Christ, Christ has already won the victory. We are more than conquerors. And I think about that family, and I'm sure that Roman proconsul was so glad that Paul and Barnabas were willing to go 130 miles, sent out by the church of Antioch, because that fam family found Jesus. Found Jesus. Let's pray.
Have you found Jesus? Have you found life in Christ? Maybe you're here this morning and it's not by accident, but you know that, that you're here and you're hearing about this man being astonished by, the, by the, the teaching of Jesus and you're feeling that call on your life as well. It's like, I need, I need a Savior. I need to be saved. Will you follow Christ this morning? Will you trust in the Lord this morning? Will you trust Jesus as your Savior? You can. And if you have questions, we're going to have a time of invitation, a time of reflection, and you can, you can, if you need to talk to someone, come. I will be up here, and we will we'll make sure you, can, you sit down and, and understand what it means to, to, to place your faith in Jesus, but knowing that Christ is calling you. For many of us in this room, because I know many of us are believers, we hear this message and we're just, we're just kind of constantly convicted. It's like, am I really willing? Am I scared? We don't have to be. Would you, I, I pray that God's word this morning will speak into your heart and give you courage. It'll give you strength and it'll remind you that there is power in the name of Jesus. It'll remind you that you are more than conquerors in Christ. It will remind you that as you face opposition, you're not facing that alone. You have Jesus. Will we be a church filled with missional people living a life as one sent for the glory of God and the the gospel? Will we be a church, a missional church like Antioch saying, let's send people out? And and we we have, but but, but maybe there's more. Maybe there's some of you. That we need to send out. Maybe some of some of you are, are, need to be willing to go. That doesn't mean everyone's going across the world. But are you willing to go across your street? Willing to walk down the hall at your school and say, "I need to talk to that person." Will you abide? Will you be prayed up? Will you seek the Lord so that you have the words, and you'll be sensitive to the opportunity? As we come to this time, let's stand together. Let's worship and let's let's. I, and I again, I call for at least a remnant to come and 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 be down here praying for this church, praying that the gospel will go out, praying that we will be living a missional life, praying for protection as we face those oppositions. God, we love you. We're so thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for the power in the name of Jesus. And so I pray that you would continue to work in our hearts right now as we. Think about, reflect on your truth this morning. I pray that it would change us. It would, it would reveal things in our life that we need to seek forgiveness of. For some, maybe it's that you're calling them to be saved. I pray as we come to this time of worship that these words would not just be words. They would be a prayer, be a, a cry out to you. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.